our Bibles to Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 to 15. If you're using the Bible in the seat back in front of you, that will be page 685 in that Bible. So we're going to look at Matthew chapter 6, especially verses 9 to 15, this well-known prayer known as the Lord's Prayer. And we're going to focus um, this morning on another of our 10 spiritual growth goals, uh, which is prayer, learning to pray as Jesus taught us to pray. So how well do you pray? If you had to rate how well you pray on a scale of 1 to 10, what rating would you give yourself? And I'm not talking about how often you pray, but when you do pray, how well do you pray? Well, if you're like me, your rating is a lot lower than you'd like it to be. And spiritually sensitive people have often recognized that this is true of themselves and that it's true of people generally. Um, The famous playwright Oscar Wilde, a lifelong Anglican, once quipped, when the gods want to punish us, they give us what we pray for. (laughs) Tim Keller, pastor of Redeemer Presbyterian Church in Manhattan, adds, none of the great prayers of the Bible are at all like our prayers for ourselves. Strong words. Well, positively, consider what prayer can be like. Um, Pastor and author Kent Hughes says, our lives are like photographic plates, and prayer is like time exposure to God. As we expose ourselves to God for half an hour, for an hour, for two hours a day, His image is imprinted more and more on us. Missionary Stuart Sachs tells um, this story about prayer. He says, while I was serving in Paraguay, a Maka Indian named Raphael came to sit on my porch. And I was eating, and I went out to see what he wanted, and he responded, Ham Henekmet. Again, I asked him what I could do for him, and the answer was the same. I understood the words he was saying, but I didn't understand its significance. Ham Henekmet. I don't want anything. I have just come near. And I shared the incident later, he says, with a local veteran missionary, and he explained that this was Raphael's way of honoring me. He really didn't want anything. He just wanted to sit on my porch. He found satisfaction and pleasure just being near me. What brings you here, my child? The Lord asks. Ham Henek met. Famous missionary to India, E. Stanley Jones, has this to say about prayer. Prayer is surrender, surrender to the will of God and cooperation with that will. If you throw out a boat hook from your boat and and you catch hold of the shore and you pull, do, do I pull the shore to me or do I pull myself to the shore? Prayer is not pulling God to my will, but the aligning of my will to the will of God. Now that may be a little bit of an overstatement. God, we see in scripture, God says that his mind does change at times when we pray, but, but, but don't miss the, the, um, the main thing that prayer is, which as we pray and we ask God to do what we want, prayer is the process of even our requests being conformed with the will of God so that we have the confidence that he's going to hear us and answer our prayers. Well, if you had to rate your praying on a scale of 1 to 10, how would you rate it? 
Well, Jesus thought that prayer was pretty important. And, and so he taught to teach us how to pray better, how to, how to raise that score. Jesus knew how to pray, didn't he? His own prayer gave him courage and resolute focus and, and also brought him peace and comfort. Through prayer, Jesus found joy and intimacy and communion with God the Father. And God heard Jesus' prayers. Jesus experienced God's great power in his ministry. If there's anyone that, that we should listen to when he teaches us to pray, it's Jesus. Jesus knows how to pray. But, but sadly, in my, experiences, in my experience, many Christians I know blow off Jesus' teaching on prayer. Particularly, they disregard the chief teaching about prayer that Jesus gave us, which is the Lord's Prayer. They lump the Lord's Prayer in with a lot of other prayers that they've heard, uh, or a lot of other teachings they've heard about prayer as if they were all of equal value, um, from the prayer of Jabez to, to prayer bookmarks to various prayer outlines, etc. And to be honest, I can't figure out why that is, why Jesus' prayer is just in the hopper with all the other prayers. Maybe it's because as children we were taught to repeat the Lord's Prayer as a, as a rote, mindless repetition. And, and so we've reacted against that by more or less ignoring this gift that God has given us. But we ignore it to our immense spiritual impoverishment. Listen to what theologian J.I. Packer has to say about the Lord's Prayer. He says, this prayer is a pattern for all Christian praying. Jesus is teaching that prayer will be acceptable when and only when the attitudes, thoughts, and desires expressed fit this pattern. That is to say, every prayer of ours should be a praying of the Lord's Prayer in some shape or form. I'm convinced that Packer's dead right. It's hard to disagree with J.I. Packer, if, if you know anything about him. I can't put aside the fact that Jesus has taught me how to pray. And I can't put that aside as if it's not the best thing out there to learn how to pray. And I have to say, when I hear Christians pray around me, that I have to agree to some extent that Tim Keller is right. That the way most Christians pray has too little in common with the prayers that we read in the Bible. Maybe that's part of the reason why our prayers have so little power. And I have to say, I don't think that we're immune from this at CBC. And this has been on my heart for quite a while now. I talked with it a while ago, or talked with the elders about it a while ago. And, and I say this with a lot of love and admiration for our church, but also with some grief and some concern. I'm really glad that we pray as a church and that many of us pray faithfully. But when I hear us pray, I sometimes wonder if the gospel that, that many of us really believe is the prosperity gospel, the gospel of health and wealth. Because while we pray for all sorts of things, it seems that a majority of our prayers and a majority of our prayer requests tend to be that we and the people that we love would be healthy, that things would go easily for us, that we would have more lucrative jobs. Yet, I see very few of these kinds of prayers in the Bible. 
You know, a few weeks ago, this was so much on my heart that I looked up every instance of prayer in the New Testament. It's great, this new, these new computer programs that we have that can make that easy to do. And I found prayers not to fall into temptation. Prayers for those who hurt us, for our enemies. Prayers for more of the Holy Spirit. Prayers to proclaim the gospel boldly, even if we're going to be persecuted for it. Prayers for more workers to be sent out into God's harvest field. Prayers for our sins to be forgiven. Prayers for wisdom and for spiritual insight. Prayers for growth in our faith. But I didn't find a single prayer that anyone would have more money or an easier life. And I found only one prayer that sick people would be made well. Now, of course, the Bible definitely encourages us to pray about everything and to present all of our requests to God. God waits for us with open arms to hear all of our requests. And sure, we can pray for healing, we can pray, and we should pray about our job situations and our troubles. But God also and especially longs to hear us pray about the things that concern him. And so why does a majority of our praying cover topics which are the decided minority of the praying that we find in the Bible? I think it's because we haven't let Jesus teach us how to pray. And you know what? We're missing out as a result. Dallas Willard, who's one of the most helpful Christian spiritual writers of this generation, has this to say about much Christian prayer today. He says, we treat God like a celestial aspirin who will cure headaches brought on by the steady, willful tendency of our lives away from and even against him. We treat him as a cosmic butler who will clean up our messes. To compel him to serve us, we seek gimmicks and tricks suited only to idols. In other words, there's a tendency in, in Christian prayer today to lose sight of the God who is really there and to mentally construct an idol, a God of our own making who can satisfy our desires. After all, when are we most likely to make idols? Not while we're playing Parcheesi, not while we're eating a bowl of spaghetti, but while we're worshiping, while we're praying. That's when we construct idols. And so if we're going to pray well, if we're going to pray to the God who's really there and not to an idol of our own making, then we desperately need mentoring. We need guidance. We need someone to teach us how to pray. And to help us, Jesus has given us this prayer, the Lord's Prayer. So let's take a look and see what it teaches us, what Jesus teaches us about how to pray. Jesus begins, Our Father in heaven. Nothing helps my prayers as much as taking time to remember who I'm actually praying to. When I rush in with all my requests, I, I get done and sometimes I wonder whether I was really praying at all or, or whether I was just worrying in an upward direction. Was I even aware of my Father in heaven during that time I spent rushing through my list? Preacher Haddon Robinson tells this story. He says, when our kids were small, we played a game. I'd take some uh, coins in my fist, and they'd sit on my lap, and they'd work to get my fingers open. According to the international rules of finger opening, once one finger is open, it can't be closed again. 
they would work at it until they got the pennies in my hand. Then they'd jump down and they'd run away filled with glee and delight. Just kids, just a game, he says. But sometimes when we come to God, we come for the pennies in his hand. Lord, I need a passing grade. Help me to study. Lord, I need a job. Lord, my mother is ill. We reach for the pennies, and when God grants the request, we push the hand away. More important than the pennies in God's hand, Robinson concludes, is the hand of God himself. That's what prayer is about. When you go to God in prayer, the name that should come easily to your lips is Father. That's what a, a good part, maybe even a majority of prayer should be and can be, getting our eyes on the Father, the good Father, a Father unlike some of the earthly fathers that, that some of us have had that, that, that have made it difficult for us to relate to God. This is the Father we wish we had, our Father, our good Father. Prayer is about remembering what He's like, and, and, and like that Maka Indian about just being in his presence, enjoying him, and thereby honoring him. And once we're at that place, once we're in the presence of the Father, we're ready to talk. And if we've got our eyes on the Father, if, if we know we can trust him and, and that we love him, what we ask for is often going to be different than what we intended to ask for before we began praying. And there are six petitions Jesus gives us here in the Lord's Prayer. And I've encouraged you before, you can think of them as the six sides of a hexagon. In fact, there's a hexagon in your bulletin. Do I have it up here? Maybe not. It's on a little green sheet of paper. You can pull it out and follow along. There's your sermon outline for this morning. We begin with the Father's reputation. Hallowed be your name. God's name is God's reputation. This request is about our pride and our, our gratitude toward God. Have you ever had a grandchild who you were so proud of, you just had to show everyone their picture? Or you had to tell everyone the story of their, their first piano recital, how they played chopsticks? Or do you remember your first crush in junior high and you just couldn't stop talking to everyone about this person? You drove all your friends crazy. You kept talking about how wonderful they were. When we know who God is, when we remember that he really is our good father in heaven, we'll begin to well up with this kind of affection and gratitude and we'll want people to know. We'll want people out in the, there in the world to know um, about our God, to think better about God than they do. We'll want God's reputation to be as, as one who is hallowed, one who is holy, one who is not ordinary or run-of-the-mill, but, but who's special and noble and exceptional and pure and righteous. Hallowed be thy name. The second petition is about God's kingdom. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Many interpreters um, think that these two go together. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Because God's kingdom is present wherever God's will is being done. And here we ask that God's will is done on earth as it is in heaven. Because our Father is so awesome. 
We want His reign to be extended on this earth. We want His will to hold sway in our neighborhood. And not just in ours, but everywhere. You've heard me uh, define God's kingdom before as every space where Jesus gets His way. Every space where Jesus gets His way. It's every heart, every habit, every decision, every thought, every relationship, every home, every workplace, every boardroom, every school, every neighborhood, every city, every nation where Jesus' priorities prevail. It's where the hungry are fed. The downcast are lifted up. The vulnerable are protected. The, the sick are healed. The rejected are embraced. The condemned are forgiven. It's where people come home to God and through Jesus they're, they're reconciled to their creator. And it's where they find their, their true identity and they find a place at the Father's table. While all who insist on perverting justice and hiding the truth and oppressing the vulnerable are put out of business. That's God's kingdom. The kingdom of God is God's revolution against the current world order. Catholic theologian Hans Kung sums it up well. I've quoted this before. The kingdom of God is creation healed. That's what we're praying for. And as we pray for it, God motivates our own hearts so that we want to become part of the answer. After all, we're the ones that Jesus has sent to help participate in this, to help see that it's accomplished. So theologian N.T. Wright comments, if the church isn't prepared to subvert the kingdoms of the world with the kingdom of God, the only honest thing would be for us to give up praying this prayer altogether. The third petition is about God, the Father's provision. Give us this day our daily bread. Now that we've gotten our focus back on the good Father and we've been moved to pray about His concerns, we're certainly invited to bring our own concerns to Him. After all, He's our Father and He cares deeply for us. Give us this day our daily bread. This is a subversive little request especially in a country where many of our major health crises stem from eating too much. Will Willimon, who's a pastor to pastors, writes, most of us perish from too much bread rather than too little. Filling the gnawing emptiness within through ceaseless consumption. For us, we ought to pray for the grace to be able to say in a culture of consumption, give us the grace to know when enough is enough. Or help us to say no when the world entices us with so much. I've gotten to this petition before in the Lord's Prayer, all ready to ask God for something I wanted, and then I've been reminded of what the Apostle Paul, that little remark he makes in 1 Timothy, if we have food and clothing, we are to be content with that. Give us this day our daily bread. Not tomorrow's bread, not next week's bread, not surf and turf. God reserves the right to, to bless us richly and God invites us to gratefully enjoy his blessings. But let's remember that 
God's kingdom, which we just prayed would come to earth, is a place where every mouth is fed and every body is clothed and where every child gets a first helping before any child gets a second or a third. Several years ago, I learned uh, a little Latin American prayer and we've sometimes as a family used it as at the supper table. God bless this bread. Give bread to those who are hungry. Give hunger for justice to those who have bread. God bless this bread. This prayer recognizes that we pray, give us our daily bread. We don't just pray for ourselves. The Lord's Prayer is not just an individual pray, prayer. We, we pray the Lord's Prayer with and for and on behalf of all of God's people. We pray this prayer for others as well as for ourselves. And as we do, our hearts are changed and we find ourselves asking what else we can do to make sure there's bread for all. I told you it was a subversive little petition. Well, the fourth petition moves us from our physical needs to our spiritual needs. We pray for the Father's forgiveness. Forgive us our debts as we forgive also our debtors. And again, this petition is plural. We're praying not just for the forgiveness of our own sins, but for the forgiveness of others as well. This petition helps bring us to the place that we were talking about last Sunday, that place of forgiveness and reconciliation. After all, we recognize that, that we need God to forgive our sins. And since we've been forgiven so much, how can we not turn around and forgive others? In fact, Jesus knows that if we can't forgive others, it's going to eventually kill our prayer life. It's going to blockade our relationship with God. And, and so Jesus follows up the Lord's Prayer in verses 14 and 15 with a, a stern warning. Look at verse 15. If you don't forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will not forgive your sins. N.T. Wright puts it this way. Failure to forgive isn't a matter of failing to live up to a new bit of moral teaching. Rather, it's cutting off the branch you were sitting on. The only reason for being kingdom people, for being Jesus people, is that the forgiveness of sins is happening. So if you don't live forgiveness, you're denying the very basis of your own new existence. Author Frederick Buchner has this to add. Jesus is not saying that God's forgiveness is conditional upon our forgiving others. In the first place, forgiveness that's conditional isn't really forgiveness at all. And in the second place, our unforgiveness is among those things that we need to have God forgive us for most. What Jesus apparently is saying is that the pride which keeps us from forgiving is the same pride which keeps us from accepting forgiveness. So if we're too proud to forgive others, that's a big flashing warning light to us that we're really too proud to let God forgive us. And this prayer is our desperate plea for God to change that. It's humbling ourselves. It's saying, God, please forgive me. And with your help, I'm going to forgive others too. Forgive our debts as we forgive our debtors. All right, fifth petition, which is for the Father's guidance. 
lead us not into temptation. Now, this is a confusing petition. It, it sounds like we're asking God not to tempt us, but we don't need to ask that because we know from James 1.13 that God will never tempt anyone. Satan is the one who tempts us. So how do we understand this? Well, the trick to understanding this petition is to realize that the Greek word translated tempt here, peirazo, can also be translated test. In English, we have two words. We have test, which is neutral or a positive word, except when you're in school facing final exams. <laughs> but it's at least neutral. But tempt is, is a negative word. It has a negative sense. But in Greek, they use both words, or they use the same word for both of these. Peirazo. So God can peirazo us. God can and does test us. But God can't peirazo us at the same time because God can't tempt us. Are you with me? So I think the best way to understand what Jesus means here is this. Father, when you test me, don't let Satan turn that test into a temptation. God, I understand you will bring hard things into my life which will test my faith. I may lose a job. I may lose a love. I may be pressured to compromise. Those are tests, I realize, that are meant to strengthen and to confirm my faith. You've made that clear in your word. But when you test me like this, please don't let Satan turn those tests into temptations so that I sin against you. Does that make sense? Is that where we all live? That's where I live. I have to pray that prayer. And again, we pray this not only for ourselves, but, but we pray this for one another too. We, we ask God to rescue others from temptation. You know, James says, my brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of their ways will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. It's amazing that, that we could get to help that to happen. For a brother or sister, through our prayers for them, that God would keep them from temptation. So we pray for one another. Lead us not into temptation. We pray it for ourselves. And then finally, the sixth petition is about the Father's protection. Deliver us from the evil one. Some translations have deliver us from evil, but evil one is a more likely translation. This petition itself reminds us um, each time we pray that, that the Apostle, or it reminds us what the Apostle Paul wants to make us aware of when he says, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against real spiritual powers. As Peter puts it, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be a lion's lunch. And just because you haven't been attacked yet or you haven't been attacked for a while doesn't mean it isn't about to happen. Satan is fierce. Satan is, is very tricky. Satan often attacks us in, in subtle ways that sometimes we don't even recognize. And we're no match in our own strength. We need to be constantly on guard every day. And we need to look to God for help. And so we pray for ourselves and we pray for one another. Father, protect us from the evil one.
Well, what a prayer. What a prayer. When we learn to pray like this, we are really praying. Praying like this will cause us to grow strong. It will give us broad spiritual shoulders. It will raise us above our own selfish concerns and, and, and it will make us spiritual warriors in the battle and, and immovable rocks in the stormy seas of life. So how do we pray this prayer? Well, I like what uh, the late Pastor James Montgomery Boyce has to say. He, he uh, said, learning to pray is a little bit like learning to play violin with the virtuosos. No instrument sounds worse at the beginning stages of learning than the violin. It's all screeches and scratches. But if the student is determined to play well, he checks the program guide for the local classical music station and notes when the violin concertos will be aired. She goes and buys the score to the concert and, and does her best to play along with the radio. At first, he sounds terrible. But as time passes, he begins little by little to sound more and more like the virtuosos. But all along as she groans on her instrument, the orchestra plays the music beautifully. Her poor performance is caught up and completed in the music of the masters. And so it is, Boyce concludes, with prayer and us. By praying the Bible's prayers back to God, we learn to pray in tune with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's how we pray this prayer. We may pray it verbatim and, and try to make it our own as we do. Or even better, we may use it as an outline for our prayers. And eventually, as we use it and use it and we practice and practice, we, we find ourselves praying on our own. Really praying the way the Bible means praying. Joining in the heavenly symphony. Anyone can do it. It just takes practice. And as we screech and scratch along in our prayers, we remember that we have a father who delights for his children to come to us. And delights even in the screeches and scratches we make. So here's the challenge. Let Jesus teach you how to pray. Use this prayer. I've, I've listed in your bulletin some books about the Lord's Prayer that you could read to, to help you understand this prayer further. As a Catalyst team, as Anne mentioned, um, we've been reminded ourselves um, about how we need to continue to make prayer a priority as a church. And uh, we're meeting after the service today, and we're going to be talking further about that and what that might look like during the season of Advent, which we move into next week and also as we then move into the next year. But don't wait for us. Let's keep praying. And now let's close in prayer.